Hey everybody, welcome back to yet another exciting episode of Terminus Prime. Uh, I am the Death Metal Guy, here with the Black Metal Guy. Uh, when it's cold and when it's dark, Terminus gets sad. And what better way to wrap up the final bonus episode of the first of what will undoubtedly be many horrible years with a survey of a couple older DSBM records that uh, both of us are really fond of. Uh, you know, DSBM is something we've covered a, a fair amount on the show, and it's always been one of the uh, most underappreciated sides of black metal. So I think this is a good opportunity to expose people to stuff where it's like, oh, maybe the style does have some legs and some real nuance to it. Yeah, uh, we've uh, we've actually got a freezing moon right now, um, <laughs> at least where I am. More frozen for uh, you. It's more like a uh, more a, a slightly cool night for me. Yeah, yeah, a tepid moon. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. Um, I suppose we should probably tell them what the records are. Uh, although they did click on it, but uh, yeah. So we're doing. Uh, I'm gonna lead off with Sialov Naughton by Forgotten Woods, or that's my pick, rather. Uh, so we want to know what the death metal guy thinks about it. Uh, that was out on Pagan Records in 1995. Their first one, As the Wolves Gather, was 94. So they're really not much younger than Gorgoroth um, or Marduk. They're kind of in this second wave of second wave. Um, mm -hmm. and we, we often think of them as coming later or being this marginal or peripheral thing, but really it was pretty close to the origin. Uh, and, and then what is your pick? Well, my pick, uh, a little bit more contemporary, but still kind of a classic these days, <clears throat> uh, which is going to be the self-titled debut by Nyctalgia, a, uh, uh which are now is at this point is now kind of a classic DSBM group uh, for people who are really into that scene. Uh, this album came out on no colors records back in 2004, and it really emerged and kind of exploded onto the scene in this liminal period right before DSBM started to coagulate as a style with its own sort of, foundational ideas and i would actually argue that this record is one of the instrumental ones in establishing a lot of those ideas and uh it's just honestly one of my favorite records of all time it's probably my favorite dsbm record ever and uh it's one of those albums like i mentioned on our end of the year show where it transcends being a great record and it just becomes something you listen to all the time uh, this is one of those, you know, I've probably listened to this, uh, probably well over a hundred times. So it's, uh, it's, it's fun to be able to talk about this one on the show. All right, cool. So about Forgotten Woods, I mean, I think this, you know, like many of the bonus episodes, it, you know, we kind of shoot from the hip when we decide what to do. And then it turns out that the choice that our instincts guided us in an interesting direction. Uh, mm -hmm. these really go together. And yeah, they do. The temporal dis the temporal distance is really useful because I think if like Nyctalgia, I guess if I wanted to be really autistic about it, and hey, that's that's what you all pay me to do. <laughs> uh, I I'd, I'd say that like 
maybe Nyctalgia's formative DSBM, Forgotten Woods is a black metal band that really influences DSBM. Mm-hmm. But that and that maybe you could call DSBM retroactively in the way that maybe we'd say, right, you know, oh, the Stooges is a punk band or whatever, right? Or like um, uh or to be more on the nose, like how people retroactively call Strid, you know, the first DSBM band. Okay, yeah. Strid at about the same time? No, Strid was earlier. I think Strid's EP was like ninety-two, something like that, but I mean, that's that's definitely a record that people have gone back to. It's it's just one of those weird outliers yeah. that accidentally happens to sound I like mean, DSBM. You could call Philosophem like DSBM if you wanted to, right? That's certainly in the early 2000s. That's how people were hearing it, at least. Oh, um, yeah. People people who don't like Nyctalgia, uh, like back in the day, called it another Burzum clone, which is incredible because it sounds nothing like Burzum. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the positive changes since then is that people have at least, your average listener has at least a slightly bro- more granular idea of guitar technique and melody. Yeah. Um, but anyway, like, so I hear Forgotten Woods as a, as a black metal band in a lot of ways, and it the cool thing is that it sort of very original sound and it kind of implicates in some different directions like it implies different possibilities and dsbm is the one that i think people have been picked up on the most uh Mm -hmm. but uh we'll get into it as as we go through it uh yeah well i mean i i guess we're getting started with it pretty much so yeah yeah, i was gonna ask you what you thought about it yeah so, okay, so this is interesting, because uh, I, I listened to Forgotten Woods uh, a little bit back in the day, just like in my teenaged explorations of, oh, important black metal bands. And uh, at the time uh, when we were coming up, I think it was 2007, where they did their mm-hmm. like Reformation album. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember it being uh, pretty far down the rabbit hole in terms of sort of goth rocky uh, a little like experimental and avant-garde it was definitely not a straight up black metal record at that point but i think that the way people reacted to it might have been a little overstated because a lot of the same ideas are present on this ep and uh this one i yes. hadn't heard before and uh i can see how parts of this are formative to what would later be called dsbm but i think that it's it's real influence and it's real weight is in the if you want to call it i I don't know sort of second wave of dsbm especially Mm -hmm. bands like life lover where uh not to spoil it but forgotten woods is clearly partly a goth rock band um for sure and then yeah yeah and then that's one of their fundamental building blocks yeah. yeah, and then the, the first wave of DSBM does not sound like goth rock, but then, you know, in the mid to late 2000s, you start getting these waves of bands like Life Lover who start folding the goth rock back into this sort of depressive black metal slash rock context. And so it's mm-hmm. like Forgotten Woods, is, uh, their influence almost skipped a generation, it felt, and th- it feels like. And then uh, all of a sudden, these you guys know, started coming out th- and listening to them again. You know, the Stooges did that, too, to keep my analogy, as in 
77 this isn't quite the same because the point is first wave black first wave dsbm really is pretty intense like nictalgen is just black metal but um mm -hmm. the stooges nothing in the first wave of punk sounded like the stooges and the stooges was far more extreme than like uh sex pistols or the damned or whatever which was yeah the damned was probably the craziest of those first bands um it took until like hardcore for anything to pick up on what the Stooges were doing or like goth bands or post-punk. Um, mm -hmm. So there, there, there's weird ways that bands that are really ahead of their time kind of, yeah, they have this like indirect nudge, you know, yeah. maybe Forgotten Woods was like a reference point for early DSBM people. I'm sure they were aware of it, but then like the sound itself, there's this like delayed echo effect on it. Definitely. I can yeah. see that because I, I think that this just mm -hmm. like genetically has much more in common with stuff that would come out 10 years later than stuff that would come out five years later, which I think is, I you know, kind idea. of something kind of something we've talked about a little bit just in, uh, you know, in these bonus episodes and on the show in general. It really does feel like it takes it. It takes like 10 years for people to really pick up on ideas in extreme metal, it feels like. You've got to go through like a whole generation of listeners almost before it really starts to pick up, you know, where the influence is really felt in other bands. And, and isn't that weird? Because on the surface, at least the Internet's accelerating everything. But yeah, if you think about the amount of time it took for USBM or let's say USBM aside from the very first wave in the 90s, right? The wave mm -hmm. it took, think about the amount of time it took for this sort of... Uh, punk derived usbm scene that we have now to get good it's like 10 yeah, years it's unbelievable <laughs> yeah like we we came up hating so much of the uh we bonded initially over hating a lot of the punky black metal of the late 2000s and now that scene is producing some of the most vital shit in black metal today yeah, in part because, like, the people who were, like, five or ten years older than us were making the really bad music, and the guys our age got into, like, Weakling and Ashborer, and then some of them, some of them moved on, right? Some of them yeah. kept digging, <laughs> right? <laughs> we separated yeah. the wheat from the chaff. Um, yeah. So, so this is, uh, I, I would really argue that this is almost at its heart, like, 50 50 goth rock and black metal um i i think that the 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 goth stuff is so pronounced and so important to this record that mm -hmm. uh, the most the most aggressive black metal parts of this music almost sound kind of unsure of themselves like it's not the place where the band is comfortable operating you know what i mean Kinda. I mean, I feel like that makes them sound less good than they are. Um, but no, it's uh, still very good. I just think they they sound the most well, relaxed and in charge when they're doing m more clearly goth stuff. Well, I think the the uh, it's certainly their home territory. It's not where the big riffs are. Um, their 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 record they did after this, which I'd actually never heard until I went back to this record, "The Curse of Mankind." Mm -hmm. um, is much more of a, you know, a Forgotten Woods version of a black metal album. And there are a lot of fast riffs on there, although I'm not sure you'd like them. Uh, but um, they, their fast riffing style really is more like hardcore. 
Yeah, also. it is. And it has that kind of frantic clattering quality to it where it's not, it's not really, it's abrasive and dissonant in the way that, you know, maybe like grinding UK hardcore in the eighties would be, but it's not like metal heavy. Yeah, um, yeah that's correct. It doesn't have yeah. like, it, it's not like for, it's not like prideful and stomping. It's, uh, it's kind of wild and unhinged, which is part of what makes it kind of special and interesting. Yeah. Um, so it's, so yeah, let's, I mean, I think, I think you're right. I mean, we should just, maybe, I think it's maybe more interesting to think of it as a black metal band. That is just a completely alternate way of imagining kind of like white metal, you know, it's like, this is just another version of what black metal could be. And it starts with different ingredients. Um, mm -hmm. But in terms of determining what the sonic ingredients are, yeah, I think the basic template is is goth rock. It, it structures the songs and all the big riffs come from that. So, yeah, yeah so do you want to play us your first sample? I think it's a good uh, example. Yeah, do you want to do uh, mine first or yours? Because we're, I we got we samples do the yours song. first. I think we should do yours first because that captures the goth thing and it sort of just captures like the peculiarity of this album. So okay. even though yours comes from later in the first song. Okay, yeah. So this is off the title track, Ciel of Naughton. And mm -hmm. uh, what's interesting, you know, is in the context of the song is this is basically the climax of the song. And uh, the form that the climax takes is basically a very straight sort of fields of nephelum uh mm -hmm. sort of passage which is like the biggest goth rock influence i was able to tell on this was fields um, yeah that's right yeah i mean just because i know that um uh, fields of the nephelum sounds like uh, a a sad gothic cowboy and uh, a lot of this sounds like that so it, um it, exactly yeah, yeah yeah so uh you know it Imagine, you know, you've, you've got a, a big black hat and you're very sad. And uh, this is a part that literally 10 years from this recording becomes Life Lover in a way. And just imagine the weirdness of this being like, a you know, an 11 minute black metal epic. But this is the note they choose to end on. It's a kind of climax on. Yeah, don't they so, play uh, this for like four minutes? Like, oh, yeah. This is, this is a yeah, long your passage. sample's just half of it. All right, here we go. Yeah. All right, let's do it.
Yeah, so that is one. It's a great part. I fucking love it. Oh, um, good, I'm glad. Oh yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, I really like the goth rock stuff in the context of black metal. Like, I really love the juxtaposition of like just the clean warbling guitar goth rock stuff mm-hmm. with the really unhinged shriek vocals, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I guess, a very <laughs> sort of like proto emo thing in a way. Um, but what's interesting are like these these weird little feelings you get about music and just after having listened to it and talked about it and written about it for so long, like, because for instance, if, if life lover did that passage on the back end of that sample, uh, they would have put a full vocal part over it. You know, you would have had the shrieking and turn into a more of a propulsive rock part. Forgotten or Woods like just lets yeah, Forgotten Woods just lets it sit and kind of simmer in a goth rock way. It's kind of like it's a it's a danceable part. You add mm-hmm, you dance mm-hmm. to that in like the the grimy uh you know uh, early eighties mid eighties goth club. You know, mm-hmm. you know everything smells like cigarettes, and there's a girl who's just kind of like waving her hands, and that's kind of like dancing for her. It's tight. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... It, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's really good. Uh, I was telling uh, the death metal guy while we were listening, I've sort of came back to this band recently. That's why it's been on my mind. Uh, and uh, it was, I was walking around in the snow through my town to go get some booze and various other errands and uh, just listening to that part. It's, you know, it's got that kind of, um, almost, it's, it's almost got a kind of bouncy quality to it, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not, it's not really depressive you know i no, mean that's like exact- people associate that with goth too much you know that's not really the the focal thing of goth it's just a part of it that's a very good point in fact most 80s goth and especially the things that followed on it are not particularly depressing at all they're dark right uh yeah in whatever in whatever you want i mean a lot of it is just sort of stuff yeah post-punk music with minor scales and you know a certain kind of vocal but like you know joy division is depressing pornography era cure is depressing but like the sisters of mercy and fields the sisters of mercy is like i'm a cool guy who gets laid yeah Uh, (laughs) and you know fields of the nephilim is like opening my grimoire you know Uh, it's fields of the nephilim both of those always put me in a really good mood um in different ways like well, yeah, because Nephilim is one of the first cool wizard bands. Um, yeah, it's it's music that's gloomy, but it's aware of the coolness of that gloom. I mean, you're exactly, not supposed to be. Yeah. you weren't supposed to be a goth. wasn't for fucking dorks back in the day. It is now. <laughs> Only a fucking nerd <laughs> is into modern goth. But back then, you were actually a cool guy if you like this stuff. Well, goth has become cool again via revival circuit, but I know what you mean. Like in terms of like, certainly in terms of the goth we grew up with, it was super dorky, right? Like I would tell people I listened to goth and they like looked at me like I told them like I masturbated in public. (laughs) Um, It's uh, um, because they thought I meant, you know, I don't know, Marilyn Manson or Convict Christ or whatever. But the funny mm-hmm. thing is, Marilyn Manson and Combat Christ aren't depressing either. They're just music for, like, really nerdy people who have sex too much. 
<laughs> well, the for Marilyn Manson comic writers is uh, people who who imagine themselves having sex a lot. <laughs> <laughs> True. Oh man, All I've right, been so, to a Comic Christ show. I have too. It was uh, yeah. not great. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so you've got a part earlier on the song. What do we got here? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, this is basically, I guess, we can return to what you were saying about the sort of more aggressive riffing. Um, and I think something you said. I don't know if you said it clearly yet, but you said it in your notes above. Is I think what you this basically sums up what we've already been saying, but like there's basically no heavy metal in this. Um, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that is something I wrote. It's it's weird. There's like it is straight like goth rock and a relatively fully formed idea of black metal. There's very little heavy metal in this, and I mean there's there's heavy metal still in Mayhem. There's a lot of heavy yeah, metal yeah, in Immortal. Yeah, yeah. There's even some heavy metal in Gorgoroth. There really isn't any oh, here, sure. which is interesting. Yeah, the, the the whole idea, you know, the whole idea of scale is different, right? Um, this doesn't have the sort of um, it might communicate a sense of vastness, but not in the sense of like getting hit by an avalanche, right? It's, yeah. it's, it might be the sense of like walking through vast spaces, but the music is a lot more tempered to like everyday life. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's a difference or it's just a, it has a punk or goth sense of scale. Uh, yeah, it doesn't have, it doesn't have the fantasy quality of a lot of second wave You don't stuff. think? It's, no, I, I think It feels very is... folky and, and you know, it's a. Uh, this feels rooted in a sort of modernist gloom to me. Well, there are a lot of wolves on it. I mean, it certainly doesn't have like the D it doesn't have the D and D quality. But I think what 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 makes it black metal? It's like it's basically like this band heard Burzum and a couple other early bands, and we're like, that's a cool idea, but let's do it with completely different parts. And I think if you think about like what makes it black metal, it's like these more folky touches in the in the melodies, uh, the incorporate you know obviously the vocals and then like this kind of uh black metal riffing at its most hardcore mm -hmm. you know because black metal tries to distance itself from heavy metal in all these ways right and then like forgotten woods really takes that and runs with it to a degree that's i think greater than any band until we get into you know like stompy heathen bm in the early 2000s mm -hmm. uh, uh so yeah, let's try uh but but yeah, here here you go. Uh this is just from the beginning of Self and Not and here's some more up tempo stuff. Uh and here you'll hear at the first riff you'll hear like the only like the only kind of heavy metal riffing remotely on here. Mm-hmm. All right. All right let's, let's do it. Go.
Okay, I can see what you mean. That that opening riff could be like a, a root riff or something. Exactly, yeah. It's like, um... Exactly. It's. I mean, it's kind of like the riff to Bathory's War, right? Which is kind of like the riff to Burzum's War. Which is a stolen root song. <laughs> you think he actually? Ripped, no, it actually think? it actually is. No, that's a that's an established thing. He basically just took a, an old root song, and mm -hmm. uh, it, it's like note for note, like the same thing. <laughs> Interesting. But yeah, you get this sort of heavy metal idea, kind of without any of the rock and roll or whatever, just this kind of snaky, intent, coiled pedal point thing that people don't really use much anymore, which I think is kind of a shame because you can use it in ways that don't sound very metal at all. Varg used it on Bellus and people said it sounded out of place. Hmm. It's like, well, I mean, it bro, also sounds like a, it also sounds like an even more slowed down kind of thrash break in a way. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be like a, a real slow venom part or something like that at yeah. their most ornate, uh, or even just like a, a half speed Slayer break. You know, just mm -hmm. with a little more melodic color rather than chromatic. Um, but then you get to what, what's interesting is they they've got ways of doing shit like uh, uh, like that that final riff that which is like. A sort of stock black metal riff, but the way they do it doesn't feel like a second wave black metal riff. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the 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 actual melodic color at the end, like the call and response ascending versus descending thing. Yeah, standard extreme mm -hmm. metal shit. But the actual melodic color of it, it just feels like there's there's a couple half steps that are wrong for a standard black metal riff. Um, which I find really interesting. There's there's very little that's like just straight ahead, oh, this is Norway in the mid-90s. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think that riff sounds like, I mean, if, if it, yeah, if you, to find what that riff sounds like, you basically have to go ahead. Like, it's kind of mm -hmm. like a Hate Forest riff. Um, a little bit, yeah, yeah. One of the most gnarly, one of the more gnarly Hate Forest riffs. But, um, but yeah, there's no neat parallel to it. It's, uh, it's an interesting riff because it has that kind of da 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 has that kind of Dorian folky feel, but also that just gnarly dissonance and mm -hmm. not really in a way that anyone else was doing at the time. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you know, another thing about it is that they because there's this rockish quality to the way there's real full band playing on this, and there's this oh yeah rock, yeah there's this rockish quality to the way they mark the ends of phrases. So even when they're yeah. blasting that riff, instead of just being like, if if we were hate for us, right? It'd be like, right? Just yeah. it'd be this sort of continuous just sheet that has this kind of crushing heavy metal avalanche quality to it, right? Yeah. Whereas like well, this, even when they're blasting, they kind of rat tie up each phrase at the end and restart it. Well, yeah, because these guys clearly, I mean, at least in my interpretation, are the, because we talked about it's like there's types of musicians and metal bands who see metal as a, an extension or a subsidiary of rock music to a degree. Mm -hmm. And this is the kind of playing that suggests that to me. And part of that has to do with um, what really surprised me. One of the most surprising parts of this record is that the drum performance on this is awesome. 
Like the drumming yeah, across yeah. this EP is phenomenal. It's it's really colorful and musical in a way that you don't mm-hmm. hear in a lot of black metal stuff. Um, there's there's no sense of having to do something for a certain kind of riff. Like at one point in this <laughs> song, yeah, like at one point in the song, there's a great moment with just like a very like linear disco beat, a little yeah thing. Yeah. Uh, which I love, and it fits the riff perfectly, but a regular black metal drummer would never fucking think to do that there, because it would just no. be and, Or if too... they did, they would pat... If they did, they'd pat themselves on the back, right? Yeah, it's like, here there's a, a real sense of groove that's basically absent from modern black metal, and it's one of the coolest things about this music. Yeah, agreed. It's kind of weird, right? It's like there's this exceptional thing where normally plenty of black metal is kind of anti-heavy metal and therefore also anti-rock. Yeah. Right? Anti-heavy metal qua rock music. So, uh, right? I mean, although Hate Forest has a metal kind of heaviness, it's very anti-rock music, right? Um, Definitely, yeah. Although, you know, Mayhem is pretty far on the anti-rock music spectrum, right? Uh it's um but like yeah this is anti-heavy metal but very rock in a but rock in a kind of post-punk and garage rock kind of sense you know what that's what it is it's a different kind of rockish music from the rock the hard rock behind heavy metal right yeah it's it's not acdc it's you know it's proto-punk stuff yeah if you want to trace the roots far back enough you could truly trace it to stooges or even kind of stuff like the sonics or whatever this kind of just pocket grooving mid-tempo uh rock shuffle stuff what it is is what it is is it's rock music without blues there's there's no blues on this and blues is you know fundamental to traditional heavy metal you extract the blues from it and then okay you've got this sort of skeleton of like anglophile rock music that's <laughs> folded right, into that's black right. metal yes. which is really really interesting and kind of a strange take on things yeah so uh, also you know just want to point out how cool that climax riff in the middle was that you know yeah that also becomes a type of stock riff many years later exactly yeah no those drums are gravelanding pretty hard at the beginning and like graveland is just releasing uh carpathian uh what is it that's uh carpathian wolves Wolves this year (laughs) i have to Um, fill you in on a graveland album (laughs) so i don't listen to that one that much but um it's uh but like yeah, that kind of very simple, very epic sort of gestures at folk, but it doesn't really sound anything like folk. It just kind of sounds like a sword riff, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That That's, you don't hear anything. There are like feelings like that in the Norse second wave, but nothing that expresses it with that kind of budget. Yeah, right. yeah, like, definitely. Okay, we got our we got our six notes. Moving on, um, uh, but yeah. I, so what's what's your next one? Okay, so this is off the uh, second track, uh, "End Not Med Storm O Grovner Streak," and this is one of the parts on the album that actually sounds closer to what would become sort of regular DSBM. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you're going to hear stuff on this that is, you know, the main riff of this passage is like a certain kind of Burzum riff, but I mm-hmm. don't know if that's where it's actually coming from. There's like certain subtle things to the melody where it's like Varg would not have done it like that in any way. So uh, let's just listen to this passage and then, you know, you with more of your goth background, you can kind of pick her around it, I think. definitely Burzum adjacent riffs, which uh, at this point might be enough to get them banned from social media. But, um, <laughs> well, I think, um, but, but very adjacent in the sense that it doesn't sound like Burzum at all. Yeah, because it's like, okay, so that's, first of all, well, first of all, it's not a riff. It's a, it's a goth guitar passage. It's just floating around three arpeggiated chords. That's all it is. It's a fully the, realized melody to me, yeah. Um, no, yeah, I mean, it's fully realized, but it's not a, a, a riff in the way no, you think of it. it's not at all. Metal it's, a re- it's a really long phrase. And yeah, like you were saying, the phrase, it has, the cool thing is it has this long arcing melodic quality, but it's all just this arpeggio play. Yeah, and so, and it's, a, so you've got basically first chord, second chord, first chord, third chord, a standard mm-hmm. thing. And the the interval between the first two chords is a totally stock Scandinavian mm-hmm. black metal interval. You've heard that that interval used in Burzum and a bunch of other shit, but it's the third one that throws the wrench in things. How it just kind of descends further down and just sits in its own gloom. There's no attempt to mm-hmm. join it back to the original root note, which would make mm-hmm. it more of a metal riff. Um, it's very interesting, and that's something that Varg wouldn't do. I mean, he would either just linger around those first two chords like Philosophum style for a while, mm-hmm. or he would find a way to work it back into a, a more substantial phrase, 
you know, not to sound insulting. I mean, it's it's substantial, but it's you know what I mean. I think I know what you mean. Uh, it would sound more conventional phrase. It's like, like, yeah, there's something unique what they're doing with the timing here. It's uh, the way, yeah, the way that that whole, I, I know what you mean. The whole third chord is really, really stretched out. Um, mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because you, you expect and, it to hitch back up and bring you back into the original chord, but it yeah, doesn't. Yeah, I get that. And I feel like that's where the power of the riff is, though, right? It sort of just, yeah. like, expands there. Um, it's the other interesting thing with Burzum, Burzum comparison is maybe you'll you'll have something to say about this. It's like Burzum is one of those bands, especially the late. But this is maybe a shameful thing to admit. But I think with the later Burzum, at least, that is a band where uh, the conventional harsh sort of a harsh close interval minor scale norwegian sensibility i sometimes mm -hmm. find myself wanting something a little more lush or a little more uh noble barbarian sort of chromatic or uh, sorry not chromatic a little noble barbarian consonant mm -hmm. um in a way that like burzum influenced music becomes years later right and, and yeah. then Barg himself does on bellus more but like this riff has really different note choice, right? They're like very open kind of Dorian pentatonic kind of things. And it sounds sort of majestic and vast in a different way than the kind of uh, eerie melodies in a lot of Burzum. Uh, and to me, so it definitely reminds like, there's no goth riff. They're using riffing technique again. That that arpeggio, glistening arpeggio stuff is totally fields of the Nephilim technique. But there's no Nephilim riff that sounds like that because it's so sort of yeah. folky and folky and sort of epic kind of. Mm -hmm. uh, but what it really reminds me of, I think, is Migla. Really? Yeah. In terms of like open, kind of very like you know, lots of ones and fours and kind of uh, big one to minor six changes and uh, emphasis on strong, strong intervals, lots of space between notes and this kind of glistening feeling. Um, I feel like if you listen to some of the more mid-tempo Migla stuff or, yeah, not like the whole shape of the melody, but the, the kind of feeling, does... Does that well, make yeah, the, any sense at all to you? I mean, yeah, in, in terms of, I mean, McGlaw's whole thing that really uh, makes them distinctive, I mean, or made them distinctive now that people have kind of unpacked the technology at mm -hmm. this point is uh, the, this sort of playing with time and space in these arpeggiated phrases where even if the tempo is high, it feels like there's a sort of infinite space uh, within these arpeggiated melodies it feels like they just have all the time in the world to kind of play around in those spaces mm -hmm. here here you get the the sort of the right hand quality but here they're invested in the the most folky and in a way most kind of doomy parts of that mm -hmm. versus magla who uses it to make very exciting and introspective blackened rock and roll songs you know <laughs> i think i see what you mean well like yeah migla creates a sense of space 
by playing really fast but in a sense the music is there's like i was gonna say like in migla like the space is very in one sense compositionally the space is all very filled in right mm -hmm. whereas this has just lots of space around the notes um and uh he's kind of yeah there's there's like there there doesn't it doesn't have that same kind of filled out mix um, oh yeah well yeah mcglaw always has so much like adornment going on in the drums and stuff like yeah, that this yeah, is very, very spare different kind of good drummer uh it's yeah but um I feel like as far as where does Migla come from, because in some sense their aesthetic is so, it seems necessary, like it had to be, but mm -hmm. it also seems kind of out of the blue. Um, yeah. And I think in terms of precedent for it, uh, I would say Migla's also listening to Fields and a lot of the 80s bands that Forgotten Woods are, but I would guess this has to be some sort of precedent for it, especially if you think the I, could, I mean, I could see that. I mean, I could see just the the more um, the more overlooked edges of Scandinavian black metal um, in general could be a substantial mm -hmm. influence for them. You know, it, not just these oh, yeah, guys. He, yeah, because he helped revive interest in all the Swedish stuff. Yeah, yeah. I I think that he probably just has a big influ. He has a big interest in the sort of marginal or forgotten bands of that scene. It's like, I, I, I bet he's like, for instance, for something that I really love, I bet he really loves that Bakta Sivfjell seven inch. Oh, you know? for sure. Dude. The, I realized something funny about Bakta Sivfjell, which I'm not sure yeah. I realized on the show. The dude from that is listed as, uh, I think was as Kvit Raffin. Do you know that that's the guy who now is in Wardruna? Really? Yeah. Huh. I had no idea. I've yeah. never really listened to Wardruna, so. You'd probably find it. Um, it's it's pretty good soundtracky music. It's kind of like, it's not, ex yeah. Um, we'll talk about Wardruna some other time. I think they got a new one coming <laughs> out this year. Um, anyway, you got any more to say on that? Uh, no, let's get to, uh, let's get about to your last what one. What about it? Okay. Um. So then I will try to continue the Migla thought as in, okay. um, if you go back to Groza, which I listened to again recently and I was like, damn, maybe this is my great album Migla yep. record. Yeah. And saying that that's your favorite Migla record is definitely like a sort of, uh, you know, uh, that's a, a very cool demonstrative guy. thing. <laughs> it's, it's a cool guy. One upsmanship move. Um, however, it might be true. Um, but basically like some things that feed into Migla aside from second wave black metal are like, Oi, RAC, street rock type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, especially at the beginning where it has this kind of stompy quality to it. Um, and that's all over this too. And I think that's initially what hooked me about Forgotten Woods was it was an example of kind of um, extremely oi influenced black metal that wasn't, you know, retarded like absurd. <laughs> it's... And, that was doing it about the same time. Uh, and so I think you could really see this as a, a starting point for, as an addition to DSBM for this sort of stompy lo-fi heathen black metal thing. That's so big now, but let's go to the beginning of for winter and rar. Uh, maybe that means where winter roars, or maybe that means something about the 
um, RAR, a RAR file. Um, yeah, and, it's uh, it's them refusing to uh, to pay for the complete version. <laughs> <laughs> Real black metal rebellion. All right, so we're gonna go to the. Uh, we're we're gonna go to the beginning of that track, and I think this is a wonderful beginning to a song. All right, uh, let's go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not like something that does a whole lot for me, but I, I get why you love it so much. I'm honestly kind of surprised. It has those like big epic. Um, it's it's got like big epic minor sort of uh, melodic consonant intervals in those power chords. Um, I mean, it's, no, it's a it's it's a cool riff. It's just a type of riff that I'm not that into in general. Oh, so fair, fair enough. Aren't there a lot of riffs like that in DSBM, or do you just not like them very much? I mean, I don't. Not really. I wouldn't say. I mean, I guess it depends on the kind of DSBM that you're listening to. But uh, I mean, just I mean, chunky power chord stuff has just never been the forte of DSBM in general. Fair enough. No, maybe I'm thinking of maybe I'm thinking of like a few little parts in something like Life Lover who would do that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Woods. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of grooving. They had a lot of kind of grooving power chord stuff. Okay, fair enough. I know what you mean, but I like that part. You could hear the oi influence, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, it, it's got that. Uh, you, you can hear that. There were parts where I was like, oh, man, those are just like what would later be straight kind of like RAC riffs a few years later. you know? Well, yeah, and I think this basically becomes, um, I think this is the number one template for Bill Skernair. Um, yeah, definitely, especially in some of the uh, the arpeggiated stuff, especially, except Bill Skernier is less uh, 
less goth and more old AFI and stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, Bill Skrinier takes the sentimentality to another level. I mean, honestly, some of those riffs are a little bit, uh, some of those riffs are a little bit uh, emotional, even for old AFI. Uh, but, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, so Bill Skrinier carries, carries the delicacy of these, There, you know, there's this sort of, grace this heaviness from graceful del- grace and delicacy in the picking and bill screener really goes for that but you know mm-hmm. they've also got the shuffling rock beats and the kind of uh um str- you know yeah bobby I mean, yeah basically anyone who's heard bill screener will know what, what i mean but anyway i didn't realize <laughs> that until i went back and listened to this and now i'm like oh that's where this comes from so in a way as far as dominant trends in contemporary underground stuff or dominant sort of non-shit post-second wave black metal, this has been hugely influential on two sort of weird strains of it, right? Both the stompy well, stuff and the DSBM. Well, I mean, it's a, I mean that's always a, a, a question, though, is, you know, because you get so many of these instances of these kind of like freak occurrences that are mm-hmm. way ahead of their time mm-hmm. uh you know just like i mean like remember when we were talking about uh impaled nazarene accidentally doing like finnish black metal riffs that occur only 15 years later that sort of thing mm-hmm. um so the question really is i i guess is forgotten woods actually that influential or do they like out of sheer coincidence and skill arrive at ideas that people would only pick up later. Uh, I, I just, it's hard to, it's hard to really um, judge the, the total reach of this band. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's quite possible. I mean, I think with Bill Skirner, it's undeniable. I think with, and like with Life Lover or whatever, it's undeniable. Yeah. I think as far as Migla, as far as Migla, it's kind of hard to tell. I think if anything, I think I'm on firmer ground making connections to those specific bands than I am to speaking about wider influence in an attempt. Yeah, I get that you. Makes sense. It, no, it might be so. one of those. It might be one of those bands that a few very important bands heard and took seriously. Uh, but I can I can see. That. I think that's the good middle ground. Is like uh, they were not. It's it's not that. Forgotten Woods reached a point of saturation in terms of number of people listening to them, but a few important people listened to them and used those ideas in more accessible ways. So they kind of live on through those guys. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. And I mean that also explains why there's like still nothing that actually sounds like this. Yeah, I, I will say that's true. There there really isn't anything. I mean it's uh it's uh, it's very unique, and now I definitely want to trawl through the uh, back catalog of the band and see what else there is to find. I'm glad you do, bro. I'm gl- I'm glad you liked this. Uh, I've definitely been pleasantly surprised by going back to this and think like, wow, this you know this could end up being one of my favorite second wave bands given the time. Yeah, it's, uh... right. yeah that's a pretty good spot. I know. Let's uh, let's take a quick break and uh, jump in with our other record. All right, sounds good.
I always like telling a, a, a really lame, like, uh, I imagine if Rodney Dangerfield was still around, he'd be like, yeah, involuntary celibate. Of course I am. I've been married for 20 years. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good dad joke. I like it. That's a, that's a great dad <laughs> joke. All right. Um, okay. All right. And we were back. Uh, and now we got the self-titled Nictalgia record. Um, <laughs> Forgotten Woods is like gloomy and gothic, but not necessarily trying to make you feel miserable. Nictalgia is very clearly trying to make you eat a gun in the woods as portrayed on the album cover. <laughs> yeah, pretty good at it, too. Yeah. Um, so uh, what did you think of this one? Because this is, this is a very interesting record in terms of where it came in and the development of DSBM, I think. So where did it come in before before I get into it? Like you've said this is pretty formative. This is 04? Yeah, this is 04. Um, so like so when we were getting into metal in like the mid 2000s, uh, mm-hmm. the whole idea of DSBM was only starting to form. And back then it was just called suicidal black metal. No, that's um, right. It was, it was, I was there when it was still suicidal black metal. Yeah. Suicidal black metal, which I still think is much cooler than DSBM depressive oh. suicidal black. Metal. Oh like, my God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking cringe. Um, but, it, but it was used in the same way that we use, um, probably even more informally than the way we use something like cavern core. It's like a, a stylistic idea. It's not really its own subgenre. At this mm-hmm. point, DSBM is its own subgenre. Yeah, um, for sure. But uh, yeah, so Nictalgia came in and it's like, people are like, oh, this is like suicidal black metal, but it's really fucking fast. And it has uh, really intense tremolo riffs and stuff like that. And honestly, when this record came out, um, it was like a bomb going off. People loved this album, and I did yeah. too. You know, I probably discovered it in like 05, 06, something like that. And uh, But then DSBM fell out of fashion profoundly at the end of the 2000s. And as a result, Nectalgia kind of went away with it. I mean, they had already been broken up uh, by this time, but whatever. Uh, and so it's only in recent years now that DSBM is sort of become accidentally critically rehabilitated uh that people are starting to go back to this band and they've become rehabilitated do you mean by you um i think in general there was a period where people spoke about dsbm in the same breath that they did you know early deathcore you know i get what you mean i get what you mean yeah it was rough dsbm had a period of uh very um regrettable sort of myspace music and it had uh the newspapers trying to break zaster as the next big thing yeah um and and Mm -hmm. and people in the metal scene in the bulk metal scene just fucking hated it usually for abstract reasons that had nothing to do with the style and they probably listened to basically none of it sort of like how slam was back then too um but uh yeah, I, I think that over the years, people have just calmed down about that kind of shit a lot. Mm-hmm. This sort of like weird, uh, there's nothing wrong with being reactionary in music, but pointlessly reactionary without real content behind the critique is fucking boring. Um, sure. So I think at this point, people are just a little more open to 
okay, so there, there's this whole style now. There's a bunch of different bands in it. Let's explore the spaces of it and see what we like and don't like about it. Um, so, yeah, that I think that right. I think. Yeah, I think that what happened is like secretly, and I think DSBM people, as it were, understand that uh, this album really sets up a lot of blueprints for later bands. I think that it basically invents a few kinds of DSBM riffs that will end up being repeated and reworked and just become part of the vocabulary of the genre. And what makes it still exciting and interesting is that it's more of a black metal record than most DSBM would end up becoming. Uh, this, this has huge ripping riffs on it. It's got blast beats. It's got real aggression and intensity, which, uh, you know, in the MySpace era where it was just kind of gloomy, kind of doom tempo crawling three chord riffs. Yeah, this is, this is much more interesting than that. But uh, what was uh, what was your take? Is this your first time hearing this, right? Uh, yeah. Um, I liked it. It made me pretty miserable. Um, I was I was <laughs> in a bad mood yesterday, and I put this on when I walked around the neighborhood and uh, felt like shit. So uh, good. <laughs> um, uh, and but it definitely felt like shit in an enjoyable way. Uh. And it has that kind of, you know, a YouTube commenter said something like, uh, this was a, yeah, when you're feeling, the commenter Greekophile says, when you're feeling down, but dropping headbanging is off limits. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's definitely an energizing kind of down, you know, uh, and I imagine this is a record I'll come back to and that will uh, will be a grower for me. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, uh, you know, like I know that some of the, the first track is very much a black metal song and Misery, yeah. Misere Nobis, neither of us sampled from it. The interesting oh, thing is, oh, you did? Okay. Uh, yeah, I ended up sampling from it. All right. Well, word. Well, I'll just say like, I feel like I heard a few things on that that I was like, yeah, this is kind of a stock riff. But then you think about when this is written. It's written before, not only before this is stuff is in DSBM, but really, I mean, uh, a lot of, it seems like he's getting a lot of these sort of aggressive black metal riffing, or at least, you know, on the verses and stuff from the Finnish school, uh, especially the very early Finnish school. But mm -hmm. that's, I think, kind of the, you know, we talked when I was reviewing, um, when we were reviewing Burkhardt's Winter about like the idea that the default German sound now has a lot of Finnish black metal in it. Yeah. Um, whether in this kind of very poppy way or this kind of like deliberately dumbed down way. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I feel like Nyctalgy is kind of the beginning of, got to be at the, the very beginning of Germans incorporating that Finnish kind of style. Uh, yeah. Which would and, be, I mean, even for the year, that would be pretty cutting edge because that's, Finnish that's, stuff was not nearly as expansive as it is now. No, that's that's what I'm saying. It was also, and not just from Germany, this really was one of the first bands consistently writing in that kind of um, uh, epic, melodic, but driving sound. Um, so when you think mm -hmm. about it from that way, a lot of the stock riffs become more interesting. And what I noticed is that even... You know, even even on the first track, there was this kind of like uh, when the verse riff came back, it sounded better. 
And as more of the context accumulates around these riffs, they all start to make sense more. Um, mm -hmm. And as the album went on, you know, yeah, it definitely just won me over. So uh, Yeah, it's definitely, it gets better as it goes on. Pretty much every mm -hmm. track, I would say, is better than the one before it. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. I think that what you said is a really important thing about it is I think that there's, I think that a lot of people, if you didn't grow up uh, like listening to metal around the time that this came out and it's after effects, it's probably hard to go back to it because sort of like, remember when we talked about a, like our second bonus episode or something, you finally listened to onward to Golgotha. Yeah. 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 Trying to parse these primordial versions of these ideas that you've heard constructed and deconstructed so many times over the intervening mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. So I, I think you're totally on the money. I think there's a ton of stuff that are like stock riffs, but they're basically invented on this record. Yeah, I think this record makes a real contribution to, like, black metal in general. Just to our idea of what kind of, um, epic, uh, you know, this kind of Finnish, influ Finnish and French influence sort of budget epic style. The idea mm -hmm. that with one, one guitarist and limited technical means, you can make something, you know, that is, sounds, has that noble, heroic, and rip ripping quality of the early scandinavian bands right this is Definitely. like gotta be ground zero for that yeah so uh in that case yeah let's listen to something off the first track uh missouri nobis and here's just a you know i just selected this because uh uh you would actually ended up sampling a part that i was going to sample off the second track so it's like fuck oh, yeah, it, yeah. let's let's get a sample off all the four tracks mm -hmm. so this off missouri nobis and this is really just a sequence of two riffs but each of them in their own way become stock riff ideas that we listen to constantly in black metal now, but I think was really ahead of the curve when it was written. So let's give this a shot.
So yeah, that's actually a a, a three riff sequence. Yeah, I thought it was just two, mm-hmm. but so so with the first one, you've got this like like crypto major key thing that happens, which is mm-hmm. you know a lot like what Life Lover ends up doing. But then the second and third riffs are like you said, uh, they're like a kind of muted version of satanic war master riffs um you know because it's got this very like medieval triumphant quality but obviously it takes these melodic turns that make them really negged out and miserable Mm -hmm. but like i think it's an interest especially that third one before it goes into that like classic dsbm like super slow part Mm -hmm. um it's almost a hybrid where you've got this very triumphant opening half that takes this sort of French style dip into this sour, uh, kind of like ugly yeah. chromatic. Territory. You're talking about when it when it goes into mid tempo again, right? Yeah, yeah, it slows yeah, down. yeah, yeah, dude. Um, yeah, exactly. So that sort of double pedal one is exactly the one where that just opens the album basically, and I was like, oh, one of those riffs. And the funny thing is, like, <laughs> you know, the the point is not that I don't like this stuff so much. It's just that I'm really picky about it. And it's like, so that is a kind of riff I really like, right? If you give me a sort of, like, motorhead beat and some kind of uh, extremely futile guitar work, you know, yeah. that kind of riff I could fucking love, right? And it's on Strength and Honor or, uh, you know, Corellian Satanist Madness or whatever. And it kind of reminded me of, like, I think that band Totenvok that we've been talking about, that super melodic kind of satanic warmaster style German band, mm-hmm. I think they at times sound more like Nyctalgia than they do like Satanic Warmaster. Um, there is this undercurrent uh, in Nyctalgia of something distinctly German that's hard to put your finger on, you know? They, no matter what mood they adopt, it's still always also sounds kind of like you know like angry sword guy music like yeah it's, it's like that's true with um the the other band that's a lot like this uh Kaltitod, right Kaltitod is also very depressing mm-hmm. but also could be a heath and bm album yeah because i i guess one of the things that makes it distinct is the fact that it never really has like the the melodramatic quality of like french stuff Mm-hmm. Like even at its oh, most yeah, kind yeah. of hysterical, it's a lot more reserved than anything that. kind of mutilation inspired. Yeah, the riffs are very chord based. There are very few of them per song. They change in a very decided way. Uh, yeah, and like so, like about that riff, you know, is I I wasn't crazy about it when it first hit, but when it comes in again later in the song, you could hear how powerful the drop from that sort of. Tr- arcing major key blast riff when it drops into that kind of charge riff again Mm -hmm. it's really heavy um and so that you know by this point in the song i was like loving that riff and enjoying walking around really fast i mean one of the things that sets these guys apart and i think what made them so advanced was that sort of uh very what we think of now as sort of modern black metal song construction mm-hmm. you know sort of like that i always jokingly call like metalcore black metal and these guys were doing it in 2004 but you'll hear the sorts of techniques these guys were doing in 04 uh, the sort of rhythmic pacing devices they use mm-hmm. probably wouldn't really come into full fruition until like 2010 i don't think 
I hear what you mean. Yeah. So like on that fast riff, the, the, on the up-tempo riff, there's like that slow down at the end, right? The, or the drums mm -hmm. sort of start fill late and you go do the turnaround like da, 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 da. I can't quite remember the melody. I haven't heard it. Well, yeah. Enough, and they, but, and they uh, kick it out. It's like, it's like a, it's basically a four part riff, but on the fourth part, they kick it out another couple of measures. So you get this like meta mm -hmm. five, four quality to it, which is a very, modern weird thing to do especially for 2004 and, and you were comparing the symbols to megla but structurally in terms of the arc of the melody there and doing that to a riff that also reminds me a lot of megla definitely so, well i mean the the drums on this record are also one of the big things that carries it yeah it's another phenomenal drum performance it's very musical it's yeah. incredibly fast there is some unbelievably fast shit on this record like uh that i know that's something i wanted to highlight yeah Oh, yeah, I, I know that you sampled Cold Void, and Cold Void is, like, fucking 284 beats a minute, man. It's, mm -hmm. it's a really fucking fast song. It's, like, dark funeral tempo, which is pretty unusual for DSBM even back then. But it's one of my favorite things mm -hmm. about it. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, so maybe, well, we'll go to my next one is, uh, I guess we'll just work through the album and, uh, yeah. Well, I, there's actually no reason to work through the album in order. Let's go to my sample from Cold Void. Uh, sure. Cold Void is um, fucking sick. Yeah. So we're going to start in a kind of cool wandering arpeggio part that should remind attentive listeners of Forgotten Woods a little bit, <laughs> I think. Um, but uh, then we're going to drop into the fast part and you'll hear how fucking fast it is. Oh, is this where they uh, they kick back into the opening riff again? Yeah, I, the, the changes to to capture this album, you really gotta capture the changes because it has that kind of very modern, like long block of riff, big transition to new riff kind of thing. It's mm -hmm. yeah, I always try to I, like yeah, you gotta capture the transitions on this because those those give a lot of the heaviosity, I think. Um, <laughs> the heaviosity, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Let's do. Uh, let's do Cold Void.
Oh yeah, man, that that blast riff is basically undeniable. <laughs> yeah, how about that for sort of frantic desperation? Um, I think it's I think it's a play on an old Nargoroth melody, which is hmm. I think Nargoroth is an understated thing here. And just I've been listening to Nargoroth again lately, um, and uh-huh. it's in, it's incredibly uneven music. Like when it's bad, it's really bad. But when it's good, he's able to capture really elemental ideas that I think were much more influential than anyone would admit. He just didn't have a sense of quality control. Like we were talking about literal people used to talk about Nargaroth. I yeah, because people used to really care about Nargaroth, and then they were despised, and now they're uh, or like. People liked them enough that it became a big thing to despise them, and maybe yeah, yeah. Um, That's like Nargaroth is like a, a fucking at this point. It's like a footnote for old black metal guys, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> like to talk shit about Nargaroth or something. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it's a yeah, and that and that blast riff. I mean, that ends up becoming a kind of that blast riff is also. Uh, you can imagine it being on, like, Magnificat by Spite Extreme Wing. Oh, kind of, yeah. It's it's harmonized differently, though. It's... Mm-hmm. But just playing, like, super high up on the fretboard, like, uh... Yeah, you yeah, know. no, if you, if you play that with a more kind of, um... If you play that without the sort of, like, delicate, like four or five stringed major chord things that make it sound all sort of wistful and um, yeah yeah if you played the if you played the more quote obvious version of that that would be the spite extreme wing riff right it's uh, yeah 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 oh not that it is obvious because otherwise other somebody else would have done it yeah yeah no uh, shit <laughs> it's um, <laughs> like, um but yes I, I i hear what you mean and just also in terms of like the totally frantic drama the insane like uh the horsepower on the drums is also very spite extreme wing, right? Well, yeah, like, and also, when, I mean, you pointed out it's like there's an actual tempo change. A lot of bands do, you know, oh, fake that's what I want cut to time or like double time tempo changes. This is an actual shift in BPM up by like fucking forty. <laughs> like, yeah, just a it's like they go from change. half they go from half time to full time and also increase the BPM, right? Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's it's huge when it happens. And there's no yeah, warning; really it just cool. drops into it. It's fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. This band does. This band makes a virtue out of having just riff, riff, riff songwriting because all mm-hmm. the transitions are like, sort of. Yeah, that's like a cataclysmic transition. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and Cold Void is oh, like. Also, the that's the thing I wanted track. to say about the song too. What? Oh, no, I was just saying, yeah, Cold Boy is the fastest track, but there is also some stuff that competes on the other songs. Yeah, so you've listened to this a hundred times, so tell me if I'm right, but it sounds like as far as a kind of simpler idea of structure, um, the, you know, the A to this, 16 to that thing, it seems like the two middle tracks, uh, Cold Void and uh, Lamento Larmoyant, those work like that, and the songs are almost kind of contemptuous of development they like cycle through two riffs maybe yeah. do throw in a third 
you're back to the two riffs. Maybe they play the third again. They do it again. They close the song. And when you're listening to it, you never think this is rote. You think, God, I hope that played that cool riff again. They've got a real ability to make these songs sound like there are more parts than they actually are. Like That's when true. you yeah. when you uh, when you actually break it down, fucking, I don't think that even the most complex song has more than like five riffs. And you know, and a lot of the time, it's just like, oh, this is just an arpeggiated variation on this corded blast riff mm-hmm. or something. There's mm-hmm. there's not a lot happening, but they're their sense of pacing, you know, even across these 10 minute songs, you never feel like they're just hanging around the same place. No. And this is like, yeah, there could be less than 15 riffs on this album, but like it doesn't need any more. Yeah. I mean, because they've made all the riffs so like vital. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think we're both, we're both supporters of that general principle, right? It's like, if the riffs are sick, just keep playing them. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, well, here's an example of that. Um, I'll, I'll skip to my second sample. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so there's a real argument to be made that this is an album about a song. Um, the, the final track on this mm-hmm. record, Exodus Letalis is, it's like obviously the best song on the album. And it's obviously probably one of the best DSPM songs ever recorded. Mm-hmm. But even more than that, it's a song about like a two and a half minute passage at the opening. And in two and a half minutes, okay. you, you will hear a thousand bands set sail from those two and a half minutes. There's like mm-hmm. three ideas in this passage and each of them becomes a certain kind of band. And honestly, if you put them all together, it becomes modern DSPM. It becomes all okay. the different types of bands you'll hear. So Exodus Letalis, just from the opening of it. Uh, yeah. So just see how many bands you discover in this moment. <laughs> all right. Here we go. All right.
so yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. uh, it, it's, it's basically a perfectly assembled sequence. Um, it's, I mean, it, everything post 2004 is touching this in some way, you know, because you've got like, you got the opening blast riff, which is like, imagine like a blasted version of like a strid riff, or it's like kind of like one of the more muted mutilation riffs. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you get like the uh, that blast riff with the jangly clean guitar, and if you do it just like that, it's total self hatred. But if you mm-hmm. if you remove the blast beat and just turn it into a doom plot, then it's kind of like nocturnal depression. And then when they do the big like washed out rainy part, mm-hmm. that becomes like half of depressive black metal. And when they pick up like yeah, that, usually the songs just start on that and keep going. Yeah, on yeah. That. Yeah. But here they use it like it's a breakdown, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. They understood that that wasn't meant to be the totality of it. You know, part of what makes mm-hmm. this great and what makes that part great is you can't have a song of nothing but those parts. There's no arc to it. There's no development. Uh, unless you're like actual insane people like Knuckle Clang who can pull something like that off, <laughs> you need to have some fucking variation. Um, and then, shit, man, when they, when they kick in they do the rainy part, but then they've got the double kicks, and then I've never been able to tell whether it's a lead guitar or like a violin synth that comes in that harmonized I think that's part. A lead. Yeah, then then it becomes like thy light or something like that. So here, this is the the genesis. This is the seed from which DSBM, as we understand it, blooms. I firmly believe right here. Yeah, and you know, another thing I want to say, in that Blast riff, uh, not the first one, uh, but the second one that is a little more like a black metal, black metal riff with, um, with the, with that at first has the jangly acoustic over it. That's a really good example of a band making a riff that's just sitting on some high uh, chord partials mm-hmm. and making a, a sick riff out of it. Um, and part it's it, got like part of it is the uh, a really underrated part of this band is the bass guitar. Um, I was gonna say the the, the, the yeah. bass doing ca- does actual counterpoint to that. Yeah, because like, because the thing is like it. Well, in other bands, the uh, or maybe not. Big... Ca- I can't remember what the technical definition of counterpoint is, but basically the bass is doing its own thing under that and giving some rhythmic inflection and. Uh, harmonic change to this relatively stable trem riff hanging over the top and together it just sounds really powerful and epic because that opening riff is uh, I think it's literally just two chords Um, it's just two broad power chords like like three or four strings Um, just one and then the other but then the actual melodic stuff is occurring from the bass guitar, which is like uh, sort of like moving around. Instead of moving around the higher notes, you're moving around the root note of this melody. And uh, mm. it gives it this fascinating quality. It's it's working in the opposite way that most black metal melodies work. And it's it, it's it's great. And, and it, you almost never hear anything like that anymore. Yeah, so um, in terms of, you know, another reference point I was thinking from this record in terms of things outside DSBM it's influenced is like 
blast riffs like that that are just these kind of stark sheets of grayish trem. Mm-hmm. To me, that's always Dutch black metal, right? Yeah, that's and that's a very interesting comparison. With, yeah, I think there might be something to it. There's this sort of also with the kind of glassy guitar tone, right? The Dutch mm-hmm. favor these kind of not not like you know uh, not mayhem or dissection cold tone but like kind of uh these severe kind of gray uh not very uh not very warm or fuzzy tones i guess so i can't think of a better way to say it basically um and basically there's a lot of emphasis on uh higher parts of the fretboard uh Mm -hmm. and um, and also on sort of very simple, uh, simple chord patterns that work by careful choice of harmonies and intervals and audible bass doing things like that. And, you know, this kind of distillation of certain kind of second wave qualities, but often with an emphasis on the more kind of uh, noble sounding parts of it. And mm-hmm. That, yeah, that's a very Dutch thing. I mean, that first kind of motorhead double pedal kind of satanic warmaster riff also reminded me a bit of that scene. Um, and, you know, what I was thinking of is that like a band like, uh, you know, think about like Meslamtea, right? There's got to be DSBM in that. Oh, definitely. Um, and Asgrau, which shares members and is a very similar melodic sensibility. Asgrau also, you know, a lot of the Dutch bands have this kind of... Um, uh, it's never kind of indulgent, but it's, or kind of despairing, but it's often kind of melancholy, right? Windswept yeah. kind of, uh, and Oscarow has a lot of those kinds of shades of gray in the courting. A lot of also the, the major key ideas that get introduced here that give on this record, give it this sort of like, uh, this sort of harmonic nuance, this air of sort of, uh, crazed sorrow right Mm -hmm. get incorporated into these sort of subtle atmospheric like subtle atmospheric shading in the dutch bands um and i realized there's a genealogical link as in uh i think as in both uh winterheart and skeld so the vocalist and the drummer both played in heimdall's vacht heimdall's vacht Hmm. is a german band but Heimdall's Vacht stuff all comes out on Hedon's Heart, and uh, it at one point included Herion uh, uh, from uh, the who's in Cultus and Untar and a bunch of things, and who runs Hedon's Heart. So, hmm. yeah, I think there's some sort of vibe in terms of like uh, stern central. You know, in addition to being a DSBM record, this is also probably part of the history of stern uh, north central european black metal yeah i can definitely see that i mean Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that it's like i said up front you know one of the things that makes this distinct is that it's a it's absolutely a dsbm record but it's also absolutely a black metal record which Mm -hmm. is one of the things Mm -hmm. that really sets it apart yeah so um i i we, we could go to my last sample this is uh maybe a little less classic black metal in some sense but to me to me this is just a a part that sounds uh um oh i'll again i'll start in this this song really just has two riffs and this moment of opening up into this kind of uh um 
in, into this kind of more hauntingly major key idea. We'll start in the opening, but then we'll go to the riff I'm really interested in. And I think attentive listeners will hear a connection to Forgotten Woods. So this All is right, from Lamento Larmoyant. That's the D, as you just said. That's the DSBM slam, where you uh, you know, you 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 windmill and knock one of the bottles off your desk. <laughs> um, yeah. So obviously, we all know the riff that you're talking about because that's one of the best on the album. And yeah, it's, so it's 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 a one of the best articulations of a certain kind of like rocking DSBM riff. Oh, yeah. I just love, like, sort of endless rolling, mid-tempo, sort of angry walking riffs like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, while we were listening, I mean, I think people could hear the arpeggiated guitar also hitting those kind of um, stark, noble intervals in the uh, Forgotten Woods kind of way. Um, mm -hmm. And you also pointed to the great bass counterpoint with that. And yeah, that because is it's... Well, it's a, uh, yeah, because it's a, it's actually a like four part riff mm -hmm. where one and three are the same opening two has a little like rising bass yes, fill to yes. round it out. Mm -hmm. And then part four has that descending guitar phrase. Mm -hmm. um, this is one of those records where I think that, I mean, it's, it's four songs with probably 15 riffs total, something like mm -hmm. that. And I feel like every one of these riffs took like 30 hours to write. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they're, they're so simple, but they're yes. so perfectly articulated and just like the delicate things, like the little bass movements or like the little Burzum style, like kind of waterfall effects at the end of certain mm -hmm. riffs. Those are the sort of adornments that, are so tiny, but elevate a good riff to a, a truly classic one. Um, you can tell there's just been so much work in this music to perfect all those details. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yes, all the inessentials have been pared away, and yet they're not. And yet you couldn't call any of these sort of elemental riffs. They do have these wonderful embellishments. It's... um. 
And, you know, that active base is also a Forgotten Woods thing, um, right, mm -hmm. in terms of, like, how on those sort of sprawling arpeggio passages, the bass will do these lifts and drops that, like, really make the riff with the arpeggios. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that part is uh, cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's interesting because there's no way I would have made the Forgotten Woods connection without having just heard it. Um, well, I'm glad you heard it. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I mean, right after hearing that, it's like, no, that's like, I mean, it's, it's, it's more modern. It, it has more years of guitar technique behind it, but clearly it's coming from the same place. It's, I mean, it's probably the gothiest part of this album by far. For sure. You know, another band that we both like that sounds like this and Forgotten Woods, almost like a combination of them. Mm-hmm. Verdunkel. Yeah. Plus like that weird kind of psychedelic aspect. Yeah, they're a they've got their own they've got their own thing for sure. They're way well, they've, Yeah, they've got they've got their uh their Von Records thing, you know. Yeah, and they're much closer. They're much closer to a although they're very gothy for a black metal band, they are much closer to metal ideas of heaviness because they've got just that big doomy low end. Yeah, they've got, they've got, there's, there's a secret, uh, kind of trad doom band at the yeah. heart of Verdunkel, which but is there, interesting. I, I remember there being, a, it's been a while since I've listened, but I remember my favorite parts of Verdunkel being sort of brooding, gothy, angry walk riffs like that one. Oh, there's uh, a lot of locked them. in yeah. roofs. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, ultimately, ultimately with this record, it's like, you know, I love to, I talk about this band to everyone that I can get to pay attention to me rant, but it really mm -hmm. is one of those things where you, you do, I think we do a pretty good job of describing music and describing what's good about it, but there really is just a, an agglutinative quality to this record in particular, where nothing that we say about it is really the equivalent to sitting down for 40 minutes and listening to it front to back. Um, to really, and to seriously engage with it, you know, to, it's, it's strange because it's a, a very minimal record in certain ways, but it also rewards careful listening, you know, to really yeah. soak in those minor intricacies and stuff like that. And, uh, I mean, I'll be the first to say, I think that this is probably the kind of record that is just a weird autistic passion of mine. I don't expect people to react to it the same way that I do, but it's starting to come back now. And I'm starting to see people kind of for the first time ever in real life who have listened to Nictalgia, who are going oh, yeah? back to this band. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. I I know a couple people who have Nictalgia shirts and I didn't even make them buy them. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, unlike the five people who you've held a gun to their heads and made them buy Nictalgia shirts, including me. Well, Please well, send the problem help. Is, the oh. problem is, Nicknalgia only ever did like one shirt. I have it, mm -hmm. and but it's for their second album, uh, Pace of Thanatos, which is mm -hmm. a good record, but is just fundamentally the lesser work, just because everything on the self-titled came together so perfectly. It just it it can't compete. It would be another band's sure. best album, but here it's the the weaker of the two. 
Um, mm-hmm. But then uh, what you really want to do is if you, if you can't get enough Dictalgia is you listen to another band featuring Winterheart on drums called Sturbend, um, mm-hmm. which is very much in the same vein as Nictalgia. They did one record called Dwelling Lifeless back in 2006, really mm-hmm. scratches the same itch. And uh, it's interesting you found that uh, that association with the Dutch scene, because now I, I've never really explored the other projects that these guys did. And now I'm curious, you know, especially with Winterheart being such a great drummer. I think I'm going to have to check out some of those. Oh, you might like Heimdall's Vacht. I remember checking them out back. They were a sort of before uh, before blasting heathen black metal was really a thing at all. Uh, you know, so back in like the 20 teens, early 20 mm-hmm. teens or the two or the OOs, uh, they were doing that. And with the hyper melodic sound that's popular now. I remember initially thinking this sounds too much like mellow death, which means <laughs> you'd love it. And I'd probably like it more now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll definitely check that out. Well, uh, that's a pretty good place to end on. So, uh, as always, thanks for listening guys. Uh, thanks for being part of the terminus black circle. And, uh, thanks for hanging out at the end of the year with our, uh, our final bonus episode of 2020. So, uh, We will talk to you guys next time.